Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. We should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Welcome to the Event Horizon. Thank you. So we've just finished watching it, and that is some darn good uh, suspense television. (laughs) For our our audience, uh, we are interviewing the creators of a steampunk web series called Progress, and it is an absolutely fascinating twist on steampunk and applying it to the internet. And I think this is the first time anybody's ever done a steampunk internet in any sort of media. I'm charmed by the concept. And I'm charmed by the visuals and the editing and the writing and just everything about it. (laughs) The production design is marvelous and it's very, very immersive. But but don't just take our word for it. Have Have a taste of progress. Virtual Whitechapel, Governor, home of the lewdest, crudest, most debaucherous cam harlots. Only two shillings and a sixpence to log in, Governor. Shut off. I didn't do much to encrypt the steam pipes this time, did they? Stop there. Cyber Scotland Yard has detected illegal I've said sort of. activity. Log in with a lucrative help. Oh, this is the simplest code to crack. Virtual Whitechapel, you cracked it, Governor. Of course I have. So tell us about how how you had the idea for this and how this got started. Yeah, here, Armando's really good at <laughs> telling <laughs> it, so. Basically, it all started during the last one of those many, many, many freakouts about WikiLeaks they were having on TV. They had this pundit saying, oh, these people should, these are terrorists, these people are terrible, it's the, they're compromising our national security, they're like murderers, it's like Jack the Ripper with internet access. And then I thought, oh, that's a great idea for a TV, for a scene. <laughs> imagine if Jack the Ripper had internet uh-huh. access, imagine that guy, you know? that would be awesome. Yeah, that would okay. be, and it was, it is. I mean, it's it's... <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely 
Um, I, I love watching the the way the internet works, and it's all driven by steam. And it's, and it's just, a series of tubes. And it really it is, is a series joke, of tubes. <laughs> yeah, we owe that to what's the name? Ted Stevens, a uh, congressman, not that. Oh, uh, 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 technology himself. That was um, Ted Stevens. Yes. So you started with this idea, and and uh, I I thought it was a, a great political social commentary. Where does it go from an idea to making a web series about it as contrasted to, say, a comic book or a novelization or, or a radio drama or something like that? Well, it had to be visual. I already was uh, writing for TV, but uh, in fact, I felt ridiculous writing this uh, series about the internet for TV. That is like, I don't see... Uh, operas about making it in movies or uh, theater dramas about the televisions, uh, no? So I decided if this is a story about the internet, it should be for the internet. And the next thing was to find that a co-producer who could actually understand the idea. And Nicole was perfect for it. And, and that also brings to mind uh, how you found the backers for it. You do identify some sponsors. It costs a fair amount of money to get something like this done. And how did you how did you find your backers? Well, <laughs> um, we're still. I mean, that's something I think that every like filmmaker artist kind of struggles with trying to get funding for their project. And even if you have you know a lot of credits your name, sometimes it's still really hard. So we kind of had to reach out to. Like, for example, for um, our teaser video that we did about a year and a half, two years ago, we talked to a location and we, and we asked if we could do like a four trade shoot. And they said yes. So it kind of started from there. And then we were, since they said that they would offer their space for free if we gave them the credit, then we kind of had to keep going that way. We reached out to some more people who would do the same thing. And then um, once we're able to shoot the teaser video, then we went to um, Indiegogo. Mm -hmm. And uh, we got some, a little bit of help from there. Um, and then really we had to kind of self-fund a lot of it. And we're still looking for, um, we're still fundraising for season two, actually. And um, so I will say that the funding has really been the hardest part. And it really is just us trying to find creative ways to make things cheaper or to ask people if they would volunteer their time and then when we get money we can pay it back. <laughs> a lot of that has has kind of been what's happened so that we can make this series. Uh, the last time we looked at progress uh, was in 2012. So yeah. you've been working at this for a long time. You've made if progress. You, yeah, if you look at it, <laughs> yeah, if, if you look at the Krypton Radio website and look up uh, Progress Steampunk and Krypton Radio on Google, you will find the original posting. And I think all we ha all you had at the time was the trailer. Yeah, I think you're nice. right. Yeah, it's um, it took us a while to get the funding. Like we first started with Kickstarter, and um, we we were kind of having a hard time. We just didn't really completely understand i guess um getting reaching out to more we didn't, it was just it was really challenging for us to use kickstarter so we just kind of stopped it part way through and regrouped and figured out what other avenues we could go and we decided to go with indiegogo and um you if you look it up you see we've only got about like fourteen hundred dollars i think from indiegogo but that wasn't enough at least to pay like our actors and some of the equipment and then the rest basically armando and i funded ourselves 
<laughs> and then so it just oh. took a while to be able to, um, mm-hmm. you know, find everyone that we needed to be part of it. And luckily, this has been great, is um, our production designer, David, who is nominated for one of the IAWTV awards for his work, he is like a genius master guru at creating sets on like very little money. So he's been really instrumental. And so our costume designer for the first few episodes also, same thing. She's great at like upcycling and um, reusing and repurposing. So she was able to create our costumes on a super small uh, Upcycling. <laughs> I like that phrase, upcycling. <laughs> It, the production design in particular is really a, a standout. And I think when you go for your next round of funding, you're going to probably find it a lot easier because you'll have demonstrated that you can, in fact, actually produce. Thank you. Well, I hope it you know, might. And it's really, it's, it's just engaging stuff. If you're listening to this, uh, if you're just tuning in, uh, this is the Event Horizon. She's awesome! <laughs> we are talking to Armando Saldanamora and Nicole Wright, the creators of the steampunk web series Progress, which... Uh, and we are making progress. And we are, yes, we're... <laughs> very, very subtle at the beginning of every episode, the, the little progress lights progress. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ooh, caught that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's very clever spent, as well. I've spent so much of my life watching progress bars progress. Oh. Which is the whole idea, no? Yeah. It's basically, it's all based on. We live with, uh, surrounded by technology so much that we take it for granted. And yeah, we see progress. And the first thing you we think is, oh, all these long, how, how long have these been? It's like been from the 19th century on. Not that kind of thing. <laughs> come on, I haven't got all minute. That is why we ended up with the whole progress concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have uh, some marvelous, marvelous actors. Your hacker is fantastic. Tell us about are these. Him. Oh, yeah, Ben, ben is great. Ben yeah. Whalen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No? yeah, he's really, really great. And a really funny story about him. Um, well, it's actually not that funny. It's more like I'm in awe of him. But <laughs> we we didn't have that much money to film all like on a long um, like production timeline. Mm-hmm. So we basically did two half days for all of our green screen stuff and then two days for all of the um, like in reality in his workshop scenes. And so because we didn't have a lot of time, he had to shoot we basically had to shoot all three episodes from start to finish like both days. So the first day he had to have like 30 pages, actually more than 30 pages of script memorized. Mm-hmm. And then the same thing with the second day. So it was really like, we were very much in awe because mostly when you film like for TV or, you know, films, like you're not filming a script or that much material in one sitting. So that was really cool that he was able to have it all memorized. It was just, I mean, I'm still in awe of him. I don't even know how he did it. <laughs> He's a pro. That Definitely. is, yeah. that's really impressive. Now, is he actually British, or is this is he just very good at uh, at accents? He's actually not um, originally British. He's, um, he's from New York, I believe. Yeah, no. New York, New York, not Old York. Of all places. But. Yeah, and um, the only there's actually two people in our series that are from England. Um, Mr. Humba or Andy Pindini, who plays Mr. Humba, he lives in London, and then um, our computer's voice. Anna Mountford, she lives in England as well. Yes. She's with BBC or something. Yeah, right? she yeah. used to work, um, acted on a couple shows yeah. for BBC. Yeah. Wow. 
Well, exactly, yes. <laughs> so you have an international cast. Yes. And, and um, the voice obviously can be a simple recording, but uh, the other actors uh, must be shooting their own material and then sending it to you. Well, actually, at the time, Annie was in Los Angeles, so we were able to... Oh, I see. Yeah, we were able to film with him, but then pretty much like right after we finished, he ended up going back over to London. So when we start filming season two, we we're going to have to bring him back out. Um, yeah. Because we just want to remain... Um, well, actually, we can't really tell you why, but we just have to bring him back out. If he's going to be reappearing on, on screen, you kind of have to have the same guy. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's not... It's not uh, it's not hard to guess why you need him. Yes. yes I was yes, about yes. to spoil something for you. That's why I was like, never mind. Yeah, we just have to have. Yeah, them. No, no spoilers. <laughs> so how? So well, we want do... to see Mitch, Miss Miss Lila again, but it may be oh. in pieces. I don't know. Yeah, I yeah, we can't really say, but um, <laughs> <sighs> I think we everyone really wants to see her too. Yes, definitely. And definitely. It's, she's definitely been one of the um characters that everyone really likes the best and really excited to see. Well, they're hoping that she drops her corset. That's I, why. That's I mean, probably, you're right. That's probably what <laughs> 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 We have something prepared on the near, next season. That, uh, don't want to spoil anything. Yeah, we can't spoil anything. Or promise too much. Yeah. So, each, so each one of your seasons is three episodes with te uh, teasers and trailers? Uh, we're going all... For broke next season, we're gonna make five if everything goes as yeah, planned. Yeah, because the point of plan will have five. Uh huh. Yeah. <clears throat> How long does it take to uh, to produce an episode, or or is that even a fair question, considering you shoot it all at once? Well, yeah, actually, you know what? That's a good question because um, originally when we were trying to break it down and schedule it, it's it was really hard because if you notice, first three episodes are really one continuous day, so mm -hmm. it was really hard for us to break it down in the way that normally like films could be broken out and you could do it you know random scenes random days but we really couldn't do that we had to shoot it pretty much um in order i mean with, aside from the green screen stuff we could shoot out of order but really um in terms of all the workshop stuff mm -hmm. it, it wasn't really going to work to we had to basically shoot it all at once is what i'm trying to say and, right. and then mm -hmm. um for the next season it's it's a little tough too um, to to do like each. We kind of have to shoot all five at once. Is what we're going to try and do, um, but there is going to be a lot more involved. I will say with um, with season two, especially because we're going to see more of the workshop. So there's definitely going to be a lot more involved. So, so you have standing sets, or is this something that you have to assemble each time you need it? Yeah. Um, it, it's basically, um, David has a lot of the pieces and we have to kind of just reassemble a lot of it and we might actually be building some other things too. So it's pretty much something we have to kind of reassemble and um, add to. Yeah. And basically, this, this crazy universe where uh, there are computers with boilers and pipes <laughs> everywhere. So yeah, every time something happens in this universe, the, all the scenery changes. You, there, there's a lot of changes for the new episodes. Oh, yeah. So you're going to see that. Definitely. No? I like the Scotland Yard with the, oh, yes. with the copper. <laughs> and the, the gentleman with the beard down to his navel. And the, I, the, I, 
it is very it is really fun working with him he's is because he's he's really professional and he's like the most competent actor he wants to be so but you look at him and you you cannot avoid to but to laugh no this guy he's so he tries to be the perfect uh, policeman and then he starts singing all of a sudden and it was crazy man <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, contain your laughter. He's just so, and he was just so perfect with it and so natural. Yes. It was really, it was really cool to see him do that. Funny stuff, he's a, a musical actor. His whole, oh, okay. he started in musicals. And look at his face and like, really, were you in some bearded uh, production of West Side Story? <laughs> <laughs> or um, Gilbert and Sullivan? <laughs> yes, yes. You know, I, I can definitely see him in, in Pirates of Penzance, oh, definitely, definitely. The, 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 uh, Some of his things, I think, is from Pirates of Penzance, no? It's the, the policeman, Lot is not a happy one, yeah. it's from that open stand. It's w weird, man. He came <laughs> up with that idea. I said, what can you do? The, uh, the hacker calls Scotland Yard, they put him on hold, no? Yeah. And I said, Kai, what can you do? I can sing. <laughs> <laughs> Rolling literally on the floor, listening to him. It was amazing. <laughs> so you do a lot of your work in front of the green screen. What's it like having to uh, keep track of all of those tiny details and direct actors in, in front of a green screen? And it's weird. It's really weird, I think, especially for the actors. Like, just talking to them after the fact... They're like, you know, it was really weird because they'd be doing something like, wait, but look over there, but look over there, you know, and it doesn't really completely make sense because they're not able to see what it's going to be. But they were so great at listening to direction, and um, literally, I'm so impressed with every single one of them because they didn't, I mean, we could tell them what's going to happen, but you still can't really visualize it until it's actually finished. So they just did such a great job just, I oh, yeah. mean... I, I don't even think I could do that. It was just, I mean, I, I'm just in awe of what they did because it definitely was, I think, a weird process. And I think they'll admit that it was, it was fun, but just very different, you know, because you're not really interacting with another actor. You have to make believe that they're there. And pretty much all of the actors, that's what they had to do. They yes. weren't interacting with um, the other ones. We had to tell them, okay, this person's going to be doing this or this person's going to look like this. But they, yeah, they had to make it all up as they went, pretty much. <laughs> well, that is well, the skill set of tomorrow, as far as acting is concerned, and and people are are having to make the adjustment today. And it sounds like your your actors are coping better than some of the people with very big names. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very proud of them. I they worked really hard, and um, I just remember on set, I was so impressed because they all had everything completely memorized. And, um, I, I mean, literally, we didn't even have to do that many takes. They were just so prepared. And I know, you know, usually when you hire union actors, they are prepared. But I was literally like, wow, you guys are, like, beyond prepared. You're just in the zone. It was really cool. It was really, really cool for them. I think you're being possibly a little bit modest, Nicole. I think the... Uh, um, <laughs> There is so much to keep track of. Uh, this isn't just um, actors memorizing their lines and knowing where to look or, uh, you know, in, in absence of a tennis ball on a stick, getting the, the eyes in the right position. Uh, there are a thousand tiny details that, that the director has to keep track of to make all of these pieces fit. And you don't have an opportunity to go back and do pickups. 
Yeah. You have to make sure that you get every single element you need right then, or you're basically toast. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're and, right. And we don't know what's on the cutting room floor. There may not be very much yeah, from the well, sound of things. But Nicole, what do you think? I don't know. And uh, you can kind of move things around on the green screen to match where their eyes are going, too. Nicole, what do you? What's your comment on your That's a really, I mean, shooting were, ratio? Yeah, there there was a lot to keep track of, and we actually there's a lot of stuff that we ended up shooting and we didn't use. You know, and I'm I'm hoping we can release some kind of um, like extra footage so people yes. can see it because, like you said, since we didn't know exactly how everything was going to be cut together, we had to kind of ask them to do all sorts of weird things. <laughs> um, like I remember. I told Rebecca, who plays Lila, I'm like, I need you to do, you know, some sort of, like, seductive kind of thing here and try it here. And she's like, this is weird, you know, because it's just, she doesn't know where it's going to be used. I don't even know where it's going to be used, but we needed to get it just in case. And so, yeah, we did a lot of that just um, Just to, to, to get happen. the coverage you needed. Yeah. Oh, so because, you, because the PG-13 director's cut. No, it's very easy to, you know, it's very easy to shoot too much. But what sucks is when you haven't shot enough and you can't get the actors back in there in England or whatever. So how much... Uh, uh, you must have been uh, doing an awful lot of directing from behind the editor's chair. You yeah, know, and, you're right. But we, we did... Um, well, kind of what happened is um, we met with Paul, who is our editor and visual effects artist. He's great. He has a lot of really amazing um, credits, credits oh, with yes. Harry Potter and mm. Prometheus. And um, oh my. really, oh, yes. I mean, he's amazing. And he really just totally got where we were coming from. And so, you know, he used the scripts and our notes to put together a rough cut. And then we just talked about it and talked about the style we wanted. And um, we let a lot of, I think, interpretation come from him. But at the same time, like you said, if there's something that maybe wasn't going the right way, we would just talk about it and figure out, how to kind of adjust, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of it was, you know, he would provide a cut, and then we would do the notes, and um, and really we came up with the style together. We all are really huge fans of The Matrix, and um, so mm-hmm. we really wanted to incorporate that kind of world into what we were doing as well. Like, what if uh, Queen Victoria was on The Matrix? You know, stuff like that. So <laughs> we definitely a lot of that kind of vibe um, with the cutting and. Uh, we are yeah. not derezzed. <laughs> no, no, he came up with the idea of making all the transitions steam like, you know? Like, I, th- I think of, that's brilliant. Out of a cloud of steam. And that is, yes. I think, is really, really cool. It really mm-hmm. worked for us. Definitely. So, yeah. But the quick transitions, the editing was, was spot on. I'm, and I, the, I'm pacing, the pacing, the pacing was perfect. You don't see perfect. that in amateur productions. And this is not an amateur production, except that nobody's getting paid. But, uh, That's true. You know, one other person I need to credit um, is actually our sound designer, Sean. And actually, we had two sound designers. It was Sean and Mike. And they just were amazing because some of the stuff, you know, he, they basically had to help create the world so that everything you see, you're hearing as well. What are, they, what are their full names? Um, it's Sean Oakley and Mike Robertson. Excellent. Yes. They, that, they did one heck of a job. I mean, the, uh, and you don't really, and you're not really aware of it as a viewer until someone points it out to you. No, but that's you're right. That's a good thing though. That the that's fact exactly you're it. so wrapped up and you don't, it doesn't take your mind off of what you're watching, but helps you 
go deeper into the story. I think that's why I just, I mean, I'm so thankful for them and their work, and their work too. You can paint a picture with sound as easily as with light. And yes, uh, yes. about, I remember from film school, <laughs> they were teaching us that uh, about... Um, well, the lighting professor would say it's all about the light, and the sound professor would say it was all about the sound. Yeah, so but the, are, but know? the, uh, the, and then the, you get both in the right, director. Okay. Yeah, they're both right. But, <laughs> but then you'd get into the director's classes, and they'd say, you know, never mind all that. About seventy percent of the information you get when you're watching television is from the audio track. Seventy mm-hmm. percent. You can actually close your eyes and follow the action. Uh, you cannot necessarily say the same thing about the visuals. So it's it's critically important to have good sound designers, and you certainly did. Uh, so, Armando, how uh, how how long did you spend working on the scripts? Ah, uh, forever, man. <laughs> Actually, he's still there, working on them now. They were several several <laughs> versions of this thing. No, at some point until we arrive at something that we all could like. And the thing is, a lot of stuff, at the beginning we were influenced by news were happening, the Mm -hmm. whole WikiLeaks uh, development, Mm -hmm. and until we said, no, forget this, let's stop focusing on the news and just focus on the story. And then, miraculously, uh, the news started to reflect what what we were writing, no? So so we had a... Well, there's this uh, encrypted, encrypted file and that kind of stuff, and something like that happened, no? And oh, there are new revelations that oh my God, now reality is copying off. <laughs> well, I hope that... the young ladies need to look out for themselves then, because obviously they're next. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Susan is giving me a what the you know what the heck? Yeah, I can't use the I can't use the actual. The uh, WTF yeah, yeah, yeah. WTF phase. look. Yeah, the WTF look. Uh-oh! <laughs> yes. Did you work out a, a uh, series Bible before you uh, before you began work on the stories? or? Uh, basically, we went directly for the stories. Like, okay, uh, um, I mean, we're also fans of uh, this series, Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. And Breaking Bad is obviously uh, written since the beginning. They knew how the story was going to end. They knew how the character was going to evolve and everything that was happening. And they didn't care if, well, we have a lot of success. Let's keep the story now. Let's finish it where it's most finished. And something that we did is like, okay, we know how these characters are going to start and what is going to happen to them. And we know how they're going to end. We still have to decide how many episodes that's gonna take. However, uh-huh. we are we have very very clear on how the what's the evolution of the characters and story. No, who's the actual, who is Jack the Ripper in this story? We know we have to know everything. You obviously have a great deal of skill with this. What else have you done besides before you worked on this? What have you worked on? I, I well, it, awful stuff. This uh, all all writers is like until you start actually becoming involved in production and stuff, everything is awful. However, I worked for tele for TV for about fifteen years, and then I coming here. I did some movies with all other writers, you know, mm-hmm. as a group of writers. I 
some stuff for TV, for Lifetime, for Sci-Fi Channel, for well, ah, for Fox. Uh, anything, gotta, anything on Sci-Fi Channel that we might recognize? That you want to admit to? Sharknado, that's not me. That's the only thing I want you to have clear. <laughs> Sharknado, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Your your <laughs> honor is your honor is sustained, sir. <laughs> it must be hard to write in a language that is not your own. Uh, yeah, you get used to. It's pretty much like. Like the Cam Harlots in the series in progress is like, yeah, you end up doing it for money and you feel dirty at the end. <laughs> yeah. It's not a pretty sight, <laughs> but yeah. So what? Uh, let's let's talk about the costuming. And who was your costume designer? Yeah. And and how yeah. much how much budget did they have to work with? And how long did it take them to produce the the look you were after? Um. So okay. So our our costume designer was Shannon Arant or Aaron. No, Aaron. Arant. Yes. Arant. I, I can never pronounce a lot, but it's no, me okay. Shannon, and um, she's great. Like I said, she worked on very small budget. I think was it like four hundred dollars or yes. I think it was four hundred dollars, and um, it didn't take her a, a long time. I don't think we also had. I should say we had about a month and a half or so between when we filmed the stuff on green screen and when we filmed Oscar's workshop. So she definitely had a little bit of time, you know, in between so she could rest, recuperate, and then start again for Oscar stuff. But I think really the main thing was getting all the costumes for Lila. And I think that took just a little bit of time because yes. she had so many different costume changes. Yes. I think that was the biggest thing is Lila's costumes. Thanks. I- I love I love the richness, the visual richness of the the costuming and especially Lila's stuff because that that stuff has to be just pinpoint perfect in order to work on camera. It's such an ornate era in clothing. Definitely. Every de- every pin tuck has to be right, you know. Definitely, yeah, definitely. <coughs> she did a really great job, yes. and especially on a super small budget. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she's from this uh, group of enthusiasts from San Diego about uh, steampunk enthusiasts. They love steampunk. From the, it's like San, San Diego. Diego is a nexus of that, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's just yeah. big there. Oh, no. So uh, she comes from like this, all this energy from that city. So welcome, no, perfect. So, yeah, definitely. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Nicole, same question for you. What did you work on before you before working on this? Well, I think um, the the biggest thing I kind of did, I, I guess you could say, is I worked. I was associate producer on a documentary called The Philosopher Kings, mm-hmm. and it basically followed custodians from different universities throughout the United States, and it kind of followed their day to day routine, but also seeking wisdom from them, especially like because they work in colleges. It was kind of like this juxtaposition of, you know, they're not the educators, they're not the students, yet they have a lot of wisdom. And it was a really cool experience. And I've also done a number of short films. There's one short film. I actually, this is before I even met Armando, but it was um, it was in English and Spanish. And it was a musical, and that was so much fun. Um, I got, like, a lyricist to help write the lyrics, and uh, it, that was really cool because I didn't even know you. And I could have had you write some of that but uh, so I've done a bunch of short films and um, ads for um, competitions mm-hmm. you know like kind of like the Super Bowl like I didn't do the Doritos one but I did some Chevy 
Yeah, Chevy. a friend of mine did did the Doritos one. He didn't win, but uh, he he had something in the competition. I want to see that. Well, those are really fun. I think. And then I also worked on, you know, like they have like the 48 hour film competitions. Oh, yes. Oh, Grueling. Yeah. Grueling. <laughs> so a lot of different, um, a lot of different things. So you are, you are definitely, you're, you are not a casual director. You are hardcore, full immersion. I'm going to be, I'm going to do this uh, and, and rise to the top if it kills me. One of those directors. Oh, yeah. Well, That's yeah. Nicole. <laughs> Oh, yes. oh gosh! Oh, okay. All right, fine. <laughs> and we can say we talked to her when. You know? Yeah, you obviously you obviously uh, take this stuff very seriously, and um, I have to be impressed with the skill that you exhibited as a director on progress. This it's I, very very nice work, very oh, nice stuff. I, that means a lot, and I I just I feel like you know what I can't really. It's really hard for me, I guess, to take it that calmly because I feel like it was such a team effort, though. I mean, everyone that was on set was just so knowledgeable mm-hmm. about their skills, like our director of photography, you know, our yes. production side. Just it was done. The lighting was brilliant. The camera work was brilliant. Boa Simon is a genius. And actually, yes. the cool thing is, um, so his work, he, he also um, filmed another web series called Destroy the Alpha Gammas, and he actually got nominated for... His cinematography as an IAWTV award for that series, so we got to see him in Las Vegas um, for that. So it's really cool because he didn't get nominated for our series, but he still got nominated. I mean, he's just and like I said, he's just like great at lighting for green screen because that's not easy, and he just made it like I guess an easy transition to go to visual effects because there wasn't a lot of like fixing up that you know Paul had to do because it was lit perfectly. Bo is really great. That's that's. That's great stuff. I mean, uh, your effects were all essentially done in in the compositor. Am I correct? Um, I I don't know actually. You, you didn't have anybody working in Maya, for example. You know what? I honestly am not sure. Um, Paul, we didn't really ask him what systems he was using. No, he kind of just did his magic and then showed us and said, "Do you like this?" Or yes. Can I, let me show you some tests. So I actually, to be honest with you, I'm not sure which systems he used. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> yeah, but they, you, there's yeah, no you, figure. You got very lucky. You you surrounded your. This is one of the skills of a director yeah. is to surround themselves with people who are who just click together as a team. It was. That's I think you're right. That's one of the coolest things. I feel like everyone just works so well together and. Um, and like I, I do feel very lucky because like I said it wasn't just one person like we all came together and we all contributed we all had our you know our own skill set it, it was just a really cool experience oh yeah so what is IAWT tell us oh, what that is yeah, it's the International Academy for Web Television and um, yeah. we actually just joined we became members really cool organization and um, they basically recognize all kinds of content that's made for the web specifically high quality web series and every year they have an award show and I think you guys heard of Felicia Day with the guilds. Yes, yes. She was, um, I think, really big and instrumental in kind of bringing more awareness to the IWTV because she's won some awards and her channel um, Geek and Sundry, they mm-hmm. a lot of awards um, and nominated a lot too. So I think <coughs> she's definitely kind of helped bring that a little bit more um, popularity, mm-hmm. I think, as well. Oh, yes. Her web series, The Guild, 
is is obviously a you know it's it's she's built her career on it basically. Yes. Yeah. The whole idea. We know those people. We are those people. <laughs> the whole idea is uh, make a web series a legitimate format. Something that's not, oh, I want to make my web series and eventually make a TV show or to make a feature. No, forget about that. Yeah, yeah, too. yeah I want to make a web series and make a web series. Uh, like, yeah. Yeah, it's legitimizing, legitimizing a web series as a final medium. Did you know? Did you know that uh, Paramount Studios has just announced that they are no longer going to be releasing on film? Really? Oh, I didn't know that. They have released. Yeah, uh, uh, it was uh, Anchorman, Anchorman Two. Anchorman Two was the last film Paramount will ever release on film. It's going to be all digital now. That makes sense. Amazing. Yeah, oh, wow. that's cool. I, I I didn't know, but I mean, a lot of um, big studios are actually trying to start creating like online channels. And, yes, and, um, yes, and web series too. We've seen a lot of that, <coughs> a, a move that they're trying to, you know, now realize that people are watching all their stuff online. I mean, some people don't even have TVs, so I think a lot of people are now, a lot of companies are trying to go more towards yes. streaming. Yes, 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 I can't remember the last time I turned on the TV just to watch TV. Yep, see, yep. You know, usually, <laughs> usually it's with the PlayStation hooked up to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have that. <laughs> we have yeah. that. <laughs> oh, come on. PlayStation's great. When I set up my my entertainment center, I didn't get a Blu-ray player. I got a PlayStation, which yeah, plays definitely. DVDs and CDs and, oh, yeah, games. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we have, too. We don't have the PS4 yet. But you, you, may, you may actually want to skip the PS4 because I understand it has, uh, they took away a lot of the basic functionality. Uh, it can't play content that you insert into it yourself. Really? Yeah. It, you can't play a DVD or a, a um, Blu-ray disc? I, like a thumb drive or something? No, it won't do it. Really? Oh, well, forget that. Yeah, you may not, you may not want a PS4. Well, maybe we don't. <laughs> why do they that? do that? I, I, I don't get why they say, okay, the next step has less features. Yeah. What, who decides that? It's like, yeah. Oh, you have to buy it all from us. There was, a, there was certainly a big backlash when people found out about that. Yeah, I did not you know, know. I mean, it's, it's, yes, they have less restriction on game sharing, but they also don't, you know, you can't, you can't stick in um, data drive, you know, or a thumb drive, with an MPEG file on it and play it. You can't do it on the on the new system. But I this... want to see progress on the big giant screen. We have... Oh my gosh. We you must do this. Do? You saw it, you said? or you're, you I want to see it. I want it. What I did is um, for my family, because my dad, unfortunately, he doesn't... <laughs> He doesn't have internet, so um, <laughs> and, like, how do you survive? I'm not sure, but so I brought him over, and we just plugged in um, my computer to the TV with you know with the HDMI cable, and oh, yeah. yeah, it actually looks really cool. I was like, dang, I need to show everyone progress <laughs> on the TV screen. It, or it, yes, it's one thing to watch a web series on your computer where the active image area is a few inches across, and it's another entirely to plug it into your big TV and watch it when it's 48 or 50 inches across. Life size, you know, life size image. Beautiful maidens with beautiful red hair. <laughs> which, which brings me to my next question, which is, with all of the major studios finally figuring out that the web is where they need to be migrating to, where does that leave the small filmmaker in terms of actually monetizing what they do? 
That's a very good question, and I think we all want to know the answer. The whole idea is this. Like it or not, big studios, we have more experience than you have when dealing with the internet. Yeah, you're going to try to come here and get a big, huge uh, Hollywood-style budget. That's not going to work well on, uh, on the internet, no? Basically, this is a medium. I know because I used to write for TV, and this is very different. You need to have other budgetary and format considerations here, no? So my guess is this. If there's uh, uh, producers with experience on web series, they are going to be the ones calling the shots then. It's not like, oh, okay, now Mr. Fincher is going to direct this. Because Fincher, if I may say so, is going to end up doing again house of cards uh, mm-hmm. that is just too expensive to be to be sustainable no that is like yeah every each of the episodes ended up costing more than four million that is just too much so armando how do you feel the the short format web series affects your work as a screenwriter are you working in uh like for example if with television you're not writing a three-act show you're writing a five act show yes and uh you know with the you've got the teaser and the denouement <laughs> at the end and you've got the three acts in the middle for a total of five with a movie you have three acts what do you have for a 10 minute web uh, episode of a yeah a 10 minute webisode what does your act structure look like for that really weird when i started i had no idea since it's a very very new format I didn't know uh, where, where do I start this. And the answer came because the, since the series was based on the Victorian era and Edwardian era, the beginning of the cinema were these very, very short serials. Remember those uh, in the, uh, silent movies mm-hmm. that had this hero doing something and at the end the damsel in distress was tied to the railroad tracks and the hero arrives just in time and he's trying to cut the rope, but it's, maybe it's too late. And what will happen in the next episode? That kind of stuff. That gave me the whole structure for progress. It's like, yeah, it must be something that grows, 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 arrives at a cliffhanger and then cuts. And then the next episode starts. And you can feel that basically on progress. It's very, very similar. So it's the- sort of the sawtooth ride episode by episode. Yeah. <laughs> to the beginnings of cinema, it reminds me a lot of that uh, uh, writing for this. It, it, sh- it shouldn't be the episodic stuff from mm-hmm. TV, you know, that every, uh, each episode is a complete story. No, this should be something that has continuity and grows, arrives at a cliffhanger, and then stops, no? And the next one takes it from there. That kind of and does the same th- lather, rinse, repeat, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you you have your story arc laid out, but you don't know exactly how many episodes it's going to take to get you there, as you said. Yeah. Well, at least five more. Yeah. yeah, at least five more, and that's for season two. How many how many more seasons uh, do you think it's going to take to get through the entire story arc? We still have a lot to figure out, but the, uh, we don't really want to go that many seasons. The whole oh my god, is that still on? Is like nah. 
we want to leave the, the audience wanting, no? So mm -hmm. maybe, I don't know, we can do three, four, whatever before the audience says, okay, I've had enough, no? It's, you have to stop before they had enough in order to, oh, is it over? I can't believe it. Give me more. That That's what we want to, to achieve, no? Yeah. Actually, that'd be really good. Well, I can't spoil too much, but um, we have talked about doing some supplemental content, and there is an idea about possibly doing something with a musical thing. Yes. <laughs> you know, content. there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of pub songs. You know, uh, entertainment entertainment music in the Victorian hall. yeah, music hall. Yeah, yeah, from the exactly exactly from musical era. No, yeah, mm -hmm. definitely no. Yeah, yeah. You, you could. We may do something like that, yes, no? Yeah, it's definitely something we've been talking about, because I don't know why, but I'm, like, really obsessed with wanting to direct a musical. And, I mean, I did a small one a few years ago, but I'm just, like, I don't know. I'm just, like, obsessed. So I've been bugging our mom. I'm like, we got to do something. we got to do something. So we're, we're going to do It'll come to you. It'll come to you. But I think I personally would love to see some music hall stuff, you know, especially yeah. if, if your Lily actress can sing. Yeah. yeah I've cheap. got a lovely bunch of coconuts. <laughs> and it's all safely public domain. Woohoo! Yeah. You don't have to pay anybody for that. But just make sure it's public domain and yeah, not just exactly. something somebody wrote for a movie later on. Well, and when you do get there, let us know because we play that kind of stuff on Krypton Radio. Yeah, we, we, yeah, we love the songs. Yeah, yeah we, we, you know, we play a lot of steampunk and, 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 uh, and, and we stuff sing like a bit. this. And we sing a bit. <laughs> you know, but uh, we, what? Wait, what? We do. <laughs> we do. What kind of attention? What has the uh, has the industry given you uh, its favorable attention as a result of any results? The progress steampunk series reviews. so far. Yeah, definitely, but mo mostly on the web series uh, side of the industry. No, the new new. New yes. media. New media, exactly. More than the old media. The old media basically doesn't get it. They it's don't like, even know. They don't, they're not there. They didn't see it. What is this internet thing you're telling me about? It's like, yeah, well, do they have an internet? What is this computer thing? It's like, they're and, like that. And where are the sprocket holes? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like that. However, on the 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 new media uh, we've been contacted by several international film uh, web series festivals know that oh, they that's went to... fun yeah really no cool. yes yeah no? we've also had some um <coughs> sorry i just zoned out we've also had some um attention from some conventions as well so we're yes. definitely going to do whatever we can to get to as many like conventions because yes. those are, I mean, those are awesome. Those are so fun. Uh, yeah, exactly. They're, they're really, really fun. But who could, who doesn't love something where you go in disguise no, to uh, <laughs> a screening of your, no? Oh sure. Oh, well, and, and I caught I caught uh, Felicia Day sneaking into a screening once, and it was Halloween, so everybody's dressed up, and she's dressed up as a. Um, uh, luchador, luchador and she's got the mask on she just you know yeah. shortest luchador ever but <laughs> but she just walked around la 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 It's uh, well, they dress better at steampunk conventions, to be sure. They do. I mean, it's it's. Uh, you get no t-shirt and jeans here. Yeah, uh, uh, one of our uh, regular contributors, uh, Rob Suter, uh, is a science fiction author, and uh, 
we call him the voice of legend because of his expertise in myth and legend. Uh, he's, but he's got says an that, outfit for every occasion. He does, <laughs> including steampunk. Every century. But he says that uh, he's kind of a little bit disappointed in the fact that steampunk appears to be sort of an elitist genre. Because if you want to participate, you have to lay out a few hundred dollars on an outfit. And well, you can't all, have just Well, one, everyone wants to know. be upper class. And, and yet, Oscar is not an upper class individual. He is no, very, he's not. You know, he's, a, he's one of the guys who shovels the coal. Yeah, we went very, very specifically for that, no? The whole, okay, no, we don't want uh, aristocrats uh, on flying on zeppelins, no? We want to see the lower class, who is the class that actually made the Industrial Revolution happen, no? Yes. The yes. lowly engineer shoveling coal into a furnace or the guy banging with a hammer uh, to create something that didn't exist before. Those are the guys who made the, the revolution. And frankly, in the Victorian era, if you were not an aristocrat, your life mostly sucked. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, really, it, it, it was not a happy time for them. So getting a view from the ground level at that society is an, another interesting aspect of the web series. Nicole, what was your uh, what was your casting process like? Oh, good question. Well, uh, because our series is about the internet, we really wanted to try and cast through the internet. So um, in LA, and in, in probably like New York as well, there's some casting sites that are really big um, that pretty much every actor is on. So we sent out casting notices through those sites and then we you know went through all the resumes and everything and then we you know had a big selection and asked them to actually send in a video audition and um, so we went through all the video auditions and then basically you know we had our top picks and then that's when we brought everyone in and had like an in-person callback but we did everything basically online there's an exception um, Derek who plays Adam Rhett I actually knew him personally we worked together before and I thought he would be really great in the role. And so we asked him, you know, to send in an audition. And, yeah, he was just exactly what we were looking for and beyond. Yes. And then um, Andy Pandini and Kai Kofer, we actually didn't have an in-person audition for them. We just had them submit a video audition. Yes, definitely. And we chose them basically on videos. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. how you're going to see them in the end, so that's, that's logical. Big. Yeah, and then actually Anna, who plays the voice, you knew her. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. she didn't, we didn't do the audition with her. But yeah, overall, I guess it was um, the main, you know, Lila and Oscar, you know, we started online and then brought them back for an in-person <laughs> callback. I'm absolutely fascinated by the fact that there are so many actors and actresses willing to work on these shows knowing that they're not going to get paid for it. Yeah, well, you know, we did pay them a little bit. Um, yeah, we, within our means. Yeah, within our means. I mean, it's not like, you know, they're going to get paid like house cards. Yeah, 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 exactly. No, they're not going to be millionaires. However, <laughs> uh, we do as uh, the best we can in order to never to go uh, someone without uh, any money, any compensation for their work. And most of people... There's something about Hollywood that I learned when I arrived here. People do it because they love this. People love movies. It's not not everybody here is trying to become rich and have private jets and that kind of stuff, no? 
they just love to act. They just love to tell stories. That's what's happening. Yeah. And also, you know, to be honest, a lot of, I mean, they told us pretty much when we talked to them and hired them on it, they said they absolutely believed in the story and loved it and just really wanted to be part of it. And they didn't care that they weren't going to be getting paid that much. And that was actually really cool to hear that, that they really love the story that much. And I mean, I'm just so excited that they actually like promoted and share pictures and it's been really cool. Well, and it does help build their portfolios and everything too. Yeah. And you know, know, what most of them have told me that the characters they play in our series are completely different than what they normally like get typecast for, you know, obviously. And so for them, it was great because now they can, finally show to a casting director, look, I promise I can do this. Look, now here's proof. You know what I mean? So they're able to get booked on other things that they wouldn't normally get booked on because now they have it, you know, in their, in their reel. Because everybody knows casting directors have almost no imagination. Did I say that out loud? Yeah, you did. Well, you call it, you know, typecasting. I call it job security, you know? (laughs) No, definitely. I mean, obviously that's, they, they don't mind it. Um, like, Derek, he markets himself kind of like this off-neighborhood, office geek kind of character. Yes. Um, but for him, it was great because he got to play, he gets to play like a villain, and he yep. really hasn't had, you know, any, he doesn't really get booked for those kind of roles, but I think it's been cool for the actors to be able to do something completely different and show everyone what they're capable of. That's so encouraging. Wins, it's, it's, and it's great to to uh, stumble across something like this because there's so much magic going on. The enthusiasm that the, you and Armando have for uh, for your project is contagious and infectious, and I'm sure that has a lot to do with why people have wanted to work with you on the project. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. And it's... I believe that that enthusiasm also is visible on the screen. If you're listening to this, go to YouTube, look up... Sorry, what's the name of the channel, please? Oh, Oh, Progress the Series. Progress. If you're listening to this, look up Progress the Series on YouTube and watch all of it. Look at the trailers, look at the episodes, look at the teasers, and you will be absolutely enchanted. Armando and Nicole, thank you so much for joining us on this evening's episode of The Event Horizon. And we are very proud and happy to have had you with us. Thank you so thank much. You, we really enjoy being here. Really. Thank you so much. You're, you're quite welcome. You have just heard episode 50 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for February 22nd, 2014. Your hosts have been station manager Gene Turnbow and the station's executive producer, Susan Fox. Our guests this week have been Nicole Wright and Armando Saldanamora, the producers and writer of the IAWTV award-nominated steampunk series, Progress. To find out more about it and see all the episodes, visit ProgressTheSeries.com. This episode will air again on Sunday, February 23rd at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. You'll be able to find this episode and others as downloads at the Krypton Radio website and on iTunes and Stitcher as podcasts. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The part of the science officer was played by renowned science fiction illustrator Mark Schirmeister. The part of the engineer was played by fandom dignitary Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was played by Corsair's closet producer Christian Cherry. And the role of the captain was voiced by legendary science fiction writer Larry Niffin. This program and its contents are copyright 2014 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. Stay tuned for more great music 
and tonight's episode of X-1. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi.